0: Women as One promotes talent in medicine by bringing the unique talents of women to the forefront. We believe that, as one, women can use their collective voice to change the landscape of medicine. My name is Dr. Rachel Marie Bond. I'm a board certified cardiologist who specializes in women's heart health and prevention. I actually knew at a very, very, very young age that I wanted to be in the medical field. And I had the ability right out of high school to get accepted to a medical program that kind of is a gateway into medical school called the Sophie Davis School of Biomedical Education, which is in New York City. And right off the bat, I knew that this was the right field for me. I just fell in love with biology, the pathophysiology, and not just that, but also the interactions and the ability and the special power that we had as physicians to help save a life. So, all of that encompassed my reason really why I wanted to be a medical professional and go in the medical field. My interest, in all honesty, for cardiology, specifically preventive cardiology and women's heart health, probably even came about during high school because I noticed that I would see patient after patient, either it was a man or a woman and somewhere or another they were affected by cardiovascular disease. And although I didn't learn this during medical school and I wish I had, I did my own research and I saw that 80% of the time cardiovascular disease is something we could prevent. And that is really what led me to try to figure out how can I help get that word out there even to the more underserved areas. When you look at the cardiovascular world, we know that there definitely is a low proportion of women in the field. But when you also look at it from a minority perspective, there is a low proportion of underrepresented minorities, such as African-Americans or Hispanics. I myself happen to be an African-American, so I probably am the most (laughs) unique form of a cardiologist. And I want to show young girls out there that this is actually the face of cardiology. Because I think that in order for us to change The discrepancies that we see within these specific populations, we probably need to increase the number of people from those populations. That way that we're treating patients and patients are being treated by people that look like them and probably can relate to them in a way others may not be able to.
1: I'm Nicole Bave. I'm a general cardiologist and echocardiographer at the University of Michigan. I'm an assistant professor here in cardiovascular medicine. So I would say that I first became interested in medicine in middle school. Uh, It was really in middle school that I developed a, a strong love of science, particularly biology and chemistry, and I knew probably from when I was a child that I wanted to do some type of service profession, that I wanted to do something involving people and I think a big part of the reason for that is that my, my mother is a now retired elementary school teacher and she was always so wonderful with children, especially me and my brother and I love the fact that being in medicine we are not only scientists, but we're also teachers as well. So through high school, I was planning on doing pre-med, did biology in college. I actually worked in a fruit fly lab when I was in college, and it was a great learning experience, but it made it clear to me that I was probably not cut out for bench research, that clinical research was definitely more my speed. And as far as a choice to go into Cardiology. When I was in medical school, I did a rotation, my internal medicine rotation. I worked with a general cardiologist, an echocardiographer, and I just kind of fell in love with echo. I loved the idea that we could assess anatomy and physiology of this incredibly important organ based on images, and so that really drove a lot of my my early interest in, in cardiology. And I love just the physiology, being able to adjust medicines and, and see the hemodynamic effects of that, being able to diurese someone and get a lot of fluid off and help their breathing so much, Uh, so I I think there is some immediate gratification in cardiology, which is one of the reasons I really enjoy it as a field. My name is
2: Sonia Burgess. I'm an interventional cardiologist and consultant cardiologist in Sydney, Australia. I work at Nepean Hospital, a Southwest cardiology in Sydney Southwest Hospital, and I'm an HMO at Liverpool Hospital, where I'm completing my PhD with the University of New South Wales I'm a 2019 to 21 Sky Emerging Leader Fellowship Program Circle member and one of only 19 female interventional cardiologists in Australia and New Zealand. I'm also a co-founder of the Women in Interventional Cardiology of Australia and New Zealand group aimed at addressing the gender gap for patients, our trainees and our colleagues. In high school, I started thinking about being a doctor and I initially thought I might be a surgeon When I came through medical school, I really liked the physician model. I liked that we saw the whole patient and we focused on uh, caring for the whole patient and communication. The reason I wanted to be a surgeon initially was my mother lost her mother at age 49 uh, to heart disease. And her mother before her died of a heart attack at 45. So in my family, women die really young of heart disease. And it's not just devastating for that person and the life they've lost, it's devastating for the whole family. So generations of women in my family have given up their education to look after their family and and later on have lost the support of a parent and it impacts well beyond grief. So what I wanted to do was something important that challenged me and made a difference. And I can't think of anything better than cardiology. It changes lives.
0: I think also starting as far back as we can, either it be in middle school even, or even younger to that degree, this is a possible field for you. And this is why you should go into this field because of X, Y, Z, that you should feel encouraged and empowered to do that. And I think that by us as physicians having the ability to work with these organizations that give us that direct connection to younger females, we're able to sort of make a difference by even being mentors to them at a very early age. I, as I said, was fortunate enough that my, my, my parents sort of found those good mentors for me, but there are others out there that don't have the same privileges or have the same way of going about it. So sort of working with organizations to make it more second nature to have mentors in these areas is probably one way that we can definitely improve and increase the number of either females and or minorities that are interested in medicine in general. I mean, I think any job can have its challenging days where you wish you had more hours in a day or days in a week or weeks in a year, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, fatigue can come over you at times and vacations may seem like a distant memory from time to time. But in all honesty, the rewards outweigh these challenges, especially when you have a full support system. And that's something that I'm very fortunate to have. I think that not just a full support system, but having a focus on self-care is so important. Self-care is something that I wish I was taught actually in medical school, and I believe that it should honestly be a class in of itself. And I believe now actually medical schools are focusing on the importance of that because as a physician, if you're not able to care for yourself, how are we going to be able to care for our patients?
1: I think we all develop our own preconceived notions about what the quote right time is to have children. When I was on inpatient service a couple of years ago, I had a medical student who was six months pregnant, and I remember thinking to myself, wow, that must be so incredibly hard. And then I realized, like, well, wait a minute. By the time, you know, she has her child and she's through medical school, her child will be a toddler when she's starting residency. And that's probably a little easier than having a newborn. And then by the time she's in attending, the kid will be in school. So it's like there's never like an easy time to have children when you're in medicine or in, really in any demanding career. But if you really, really want to do it and you really want to be a doctor, it's you shouldn't sacrifice your dream to be a doctor because you want to have children. It's just I think the more we see women in leadership positions, the more we're going to figure this out. Maternity leave policies and training are particularly dicey because, yes, we need to ensure that people get Everything in that they need to get in in terms of their like their num like for co cats numbers. On the other hand, we shouldn't be like depriving people of their vacation. And I know some programs do allow for off cycle. Then that would probably be much better. Or if you could extend your last year of training into two years, you know, if you if you were raising a, a baby or something. And there needs to be a lot more flexibility in all respects. I think. As I mentioned before, when I was in medical school and doing my internal medicine rotation, I worked with a fantastic cardiologist at Brigham Women's named Len Lilly, and he actually, like, He has a really unique textbook that he co-authors. So it's each chapter is co-authored by a cardiologist and a medical student. It's like an amazing opportunity to learn physiology from the masters. And so like I got involved with that and I spent time reading Echoes with him. And I just, I loved the fact that the heart was an organ that you could actually see and that you could actually like see the anatomy and the physiology in action. And so Echo kind of was like my first love in cardiology, so to speak. I did my residency at Mass General and then I went to University of Chicago for fellowship in large because they have such a strong multimodality imaging program and Roberto Lang was my primary mentor in the ECHO lab there, so I did a lot of work with 3D ECHO and imaging of the right side of the heart, the right ventricle in particular. And then from there I, I came here to Michigan to be on faculty and I read echoes here in, in our main lab and then I'm also the lab director at our VA hospital. And then in addition to doing imaging and general cardiology, I've developed an interest in heart disease in the advanced kidney disease population. So I work pretty closely with our kidney transplant program to prepare and optimize their patients for kidney transplants. And it's a wide variety of issues that we deal with in that population, but a lot of it is left-sided heart failure. There's some right-sided heart failure with pulmonary hypertension coronary artery disease, valvular disease, aortic aneurysms, and so a lot of times I'm using ECHO to follow these patients to sort of see how their hearts respond to medication adjustments and adjustments in dialysis. That's been a really interesting part of what I'm doing and hopefully will be a research focus for me moving forward as well.
2: Well, I think cardiology is an amazing specialty and I think interventional cardiology gives me joy full stop. I think there's the joy of wiring a lesion that seemed to be untreatable and succeeding. I think there's the joy of taking a patient who is critically unwell and making them safe. And it's a combination of how demanding our and rewarding our subspecialty interventional cardiology can be that I think drives me to keep working and to stay in interventional cardiology. I like the teamwork and the clarity of purpose you have when you're doing primary PCI and acute care. And I really like the balance of skills you need. I think we underestimate how intuitive you need to be to calm a scared patient, to lead the team through a primary PCI, and really critically to understand the evidence driving our care so that when you're making split 2nd decisions, you make them well. I love how much evidence-based there is in intentional cardiology, and I am really dedicated to using medicine that matches well with guidelines and with evidence-based care that we have. So as a doctor who's worked in Australia and New Zealand, one of the things I think probably more difficult than in bigger countries is we have real expatriation, repatriation challenges. So in Australia and New Zealand, we traditionally do a fellowship year more locally in your own country But then we will usually go to a Northern Hemisphere country to do a second fellowship year. Not always, but usually. And then often do a PhD in that country and then return. So if you take all of those things, plus any brief breaks you may have for family, you know, to have a child, what happens is you get fragmented relationships. It's not that you don't have ties with your previous hospitals, but the ability to have a place saved for you, for want of a better word, or have a place to return to, is, is really challenging. And, and I think that impacts on women much more heavily than men because in society we're still less likely to have a parent another parent at home to care for our children. I think there's good data on that. So what happens is if we're working huge hours, which is what fellowship hours are, away from home, Um, We don't have the extended family network to support us and make sure that we know our children are safe. And that's pretty tricky. So we need a sophisticated level of planning to make sure that we can do everything we need to do to be excellent doctors and have no compromise, but also do everything we need to do to make sure our families are safe. I think men miss out on a relationship with their child if they are never the at-home parent. I've seen my husband take several months off work at a time to support my career, particularly in my fellowship. And his relationship with our children is different than the relationship fathers had in my generation who were just working and nothing else. So I think we can all gain by not saying you need to consider the impact on your family to female doctors, but to say, interventional cardiology is hard on families full stop to all doctors and to find a way to make our doctors who are most likely to prioritize caring for people part of our interventional cardiology community because those people are going to be instinctively good doctors because they innately have been prioritizing caring which is what we should all do
0: yeah i mean for one i hope that the number of women in the field increases and i'm very confident that it will I also hope that the path to leadership becomes straighter for women in the sense that we know that data shows that women have to work so much harder just to get paid as equally and to get leadership roles. And my hope is that we no longer, that will no longer be the case. And again, these wonderful organizations are trying to create a platform to make changes to that. And I think that I, I personally know that these platforms is really what's going to help make these drastic changes. So there are more women out there that realize that, well, I can be a cardiologist, but I also can be a leader within my department or my division or my hospital or my practice, et cetera, et cetera. I also hope that women can feel that they can continue to conquer all. I think the biggest question I get is, how do you have a happy work-life balance? And it's very feasible. And again, I emphasize that support system, having that family support, having that friend support, even having that work support, focusing on self-care. And my hope, again, is that by doing that, we'll just, in the end of the day, have an overabundance of females in cardiology, which we know at the end of the day is also going to help advance our patients and their overall care.
1: Sometimes you meet with younger docs and you're like, oh, yeah, I just don't know about the lifestyle. And there is like a little part of me that's like, well, why are you saying that in an interview? Like we had... During fellowship interviews this last season, one of the, I didn't interview her personally, but somebody said something along the lines of like, well, I think I mostly want to do outpatient cardiology because it's a better lifestyle. And that was like a big eyebrow raiser for everybody in the room. And they're kind of like, well, it's not, it's not never a good lifestyle if you, you know, do it right kind of thing. And it's, I don't know, everybody finds their own balance of like, what is appropriate to admit that, like, you actually want to have a normal life versus, you know, you're so hard working. There's a really good book I read a few years ago called Mimonomics And it was interesting because Claire Shipman and Caddy Kay are the authors. And they basically sort of say, like, hey, we need to think a little bit more flexibly about how we work so that we can both raise families and achieve what we want to achieve. And so they'd interviewed a lot of women in various fields who had sort of crafted their own careers in order to make a good work-life balance. But one of the points that they made that's really important, they're like, well, oh, hang on a second. Like, in order to, you know, do all this and have a flexible schedule and this, and that, you need to be very good at what you do. When you are working, you need to work hard. You can't let your standards slip because, you know, you're working part-time or this or that. And like, that's, that's really important, you know. We're not, gonna, um, we're not gonna lower our standards for somebody just because they're gonna be working fewer hours or they're gonna be working different hours or anything.
2: Well, this is really interesting because if you look on my Twitter account, I'm a, I'm a reform skeptic. I, I'm quite a private person and I think the ability to make a fool of yourself on social media really worried me. I didn't have a Twitter handle and I wasn't, I think I had three photos on Facebook before our publication and Jack came out, but they asked us what our Twitter handle was and I realised that if we wanted to be heard, we needed to use all of the tools that were available. I had read in JAMA Cardiology earlier in the year about the power of social media and I had really underestimated its power, both to spread our word importantly, but also to provide allies when we're so isolated in Australia and New Zealand. So what I have done is I've been tweeting our research. We've had articles in Jack, in Circulation and in Jama Cardiology, a smaller thing. And I have shared that on social media and the support has just been so incredible. It's been 99% positive, And I think it's reminded women across the world that our networking skills are amazing, our ability to support each other are amazing, and there are plenty of suffragents, that's a um, term Camilla Douglas used in JAMA Cardiology, men who want to support their female colleagues actively, who are around, who want to spread the word. What it's told me is there is a power in media beyond classic televised media or, or print media And there is less control, you know, there are less traditional power holders in social media. It is really about what people want to share and that gives women a voice well beyond traditional media outlets. And then the more traditional stakeholders see how well shared this is and and they understand how important it is to so many people. And we become listened to, not just on social media, but everywhere. And that's change, that's real change, and that's really exciting. And for me, that was worth the little bit of exposure that you feel you get on social media. In a more global way, diversity in the workforce, aiming to have a workforce that is broadly representative of the population that they are serving, having that diversity is the way we make change because if I don't understand the problem, I can't solve it, and in some ways, If our leaders have never faced the problem of gender diversity themselves, they're going to be less able to identify the barriers, the real barriers, not the mythological barriers. At the moment, we've done some work on what 10 years from now will look like. And 10 years from now, based on the changes we're making at the moment in the uh, training workforce, it won't look much different. We're lagging 20 years behind the change in surgery, based on the fact that we're not attracting doctors to cardiology and interventional cardiology. But I hope that things like Woman is One, that all of the people pushing for change and realising that passively and politely waiting for things to get better isn't working, who have decided to take a more active role or rattle some cages, I saw someone write, and help actively promote change. I hope that we can redraw the graph that we published in Circulation with just exponential positive change.